Good morning. It's Thursday, the 23rd of July. This is The Briefing. And the winner of the great font debate, Jan Fran, is here. <laughs> I am. Thank you. I'd like to thank my mum. I'd like to thank God. Um, it was Ariel versus... Calibri. Calibri. Yeah, Tom and I had a font fight this week and we put it out to you and came back the resounding winner. Calibri is the font of choice for people, for yes. regular, normal, great people. Yes, I was wrong and I admit it. <laughs> Um, it You're was our biggest man. biggest Instagram post ever. Follow us on the briefing podcast if you want to be part of such absolute nonsense, <laughs> but also get some great <laughs> facts of the day. Uh, let's move on. Today on the show, we're going to look at the recent spate of fatal shark attacks. I still love sharks. Sharks are beautiful. We'll look at why there's been a high number of attacks. Because those sharks are in a more constrained environment, they're more likely to encounter people and bite them. That story in just a moment. First, the big news of the day. Yeah, we're not starting with some great news. We are in the worst budget deficit since World War II. Gird thy loins, people, because that is the... That's such a medieval saying, isn't it? I like it. Ah, yeah. Well, look, that's the announcement that's expected from the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, today when he addresses the country on the state of the economy. Kids born today will be 30 years old when Australia's done paying off its pandemic debt. Oh, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound very good, does it? And look, there is obviously a very clear reason why this is happening. Uh, Almost $300 billion have been spent by the government on the COVID-19 response, of course, there's been a drop in taxes, there's a drops in spending, um, and it must be particularly galling for the government to have to announce this because last year they told us that we were on track to hit our first budget surplus in over a decade, and now that very clearly looks like it won't be happening at all. Yeah, we were going to be back in black, mm-hmm. and now we're going to be deep in the red. And Australia hit a a grim COVID record yesterday with the highest number of new daily cases since the whole pandemic started, mostly driven by the numbers in Victoria. There are 6,739 cases of coronavirus in Victoria. That's 484 new cases. On top of the Victorian numbers, there were 16 in New South Wales and one in Queensland, marking an Australian high of 500 and two new cases in just 24 hours. Yeah, and of course that number's prompted more questions about a New Zealand-style stage four lockdown for Melbourne, but Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton is still ruling that out for the time being. We have to understand what the dynamics of transmission are in Victoria at this point in time. It may well be that it's a an awful impost on the economy and on people's lives with no material benefit. So that's the question, isn't it? Why is the number still going up two weeks into the lockdown when it should be at the very least starting to fall? Yeah, that's that's a, a massive question. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of soul searching in Melbourne about what people have been doing and whether they've actually been socially distancing properly, whether the second time around is harder. But I think a key factor is that The first wave was from overseas cases. Mm. We're now dealing with community transmissions, which is so much harder to tackle. Um, One of the reasons that's being explored is this one that Daniel Andrews was talking about yesterday where he said nine out of ten people who had symptoms and ended up testing positive didn't stay home when they got sick. And that wasn't the only infuriating stat. 53% did not isolate, that is, did not stay at home and have no contact with anybody else between when they had their test taken and when they got the results of that test. 
Yeah, so those numbers are really concerning the way people were responding when they were getting tested or, or getting the results. There seemed to be a real a real sadness or darkness around that revelation yesterday. Yeah, I think you do expect people to, at the very least, if they have symptoms or are feeling unwell, to stay home and to not be around anyone and to know that that's not happening in a state where we're seeing almost 500 corona cases a day is fairly concerning. From today, masks are a must in Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire. But look, it's not the only place that is changing the rules. Yeah, in America, there's been a massive backflip from President Donald Trump. Has uh, there? Yeah. God, tickle me pink. What do you know? Uh, this was him back in April being asked why others should wear a mask and he wouldn't. I just don't want to wear one myself. It's a recommendation. They recommend it. I'm feeling good. Changed his tune, though. This was him yesterday. We're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask. Uh, Whether you like the mask or not, uh, they have an impact, they'll have an effect, and we need everything we can get. I think he described uh, wearing a mask as an act of patriotism as well. So it's, (laughs) it's interesting the link to being a patriotic American means to wear a mask. But I think... But it sort of meant... Being a patriot was to not wear a mask a month ago. Yeah, that's right. I think the numbers might be catching up with Donald Trump. I, yesterday, a thousand... The polling numbers or the COVID numbers? Well, the, I imagine both, mm. but the COVID numbers are really bad. Yesterday, a thousand people died in the United States. The total deaths is almost at 145,000 and 4 million people infected, way above any other country. It was a relief there just to hear a bit of leadership from Donald Trump. Because I think leadership involves appealing to people's better instincts, leading them to a better future. It's so easy to divide people and appeal to fear and those base instincts. But, you know, in a civilised society, hopefully a leader can help us rise above those base instincts. Hopefully. And just on the polling numbers, by the way, the latest polls for Trump look terrible. If there was an election held today, he would get 39% of the vote and Joe Biden would get 54 so he'd be smashed. Maybe that's another reason why he's backflipped on the mask. Yeah, and of course the polls were very wrong in 2016, so you'd never want to write That's Trump the other off. thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they come with a disclaimer, a massive pinch of salt. You know what I think could save his presidency? Mm. If America gets the vaccine first, and it's before November, not after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be a great brand America story, and he could really own that. Today's briefing is shark attacks. Why have there been so many this year? Yeah, we are only halfway through the year and five people have died from shark attacks already. A boy just 15 years old, dead after a shark attack at Woolye Beach. Matthew Tratt killed by a shark on Fraser Island. A surfer has been attacked by a shark, bleeding to death on the sand at Kingscliff in northern New South Wales. In Gladstone now with new details on the man killed in a shark attack. 23-year-old Zachary Roberts searching for the body of a man mauled by a shark. Pretty intense hearing those stories. I actually knew Matthew Tratt, who died in Queensland. So, oh, really? Yeah, big love to his brother, Robbie, who was there at the time. Yeah, that would have been awful. Yeah, so five fatal shark attacks. And to put that in context, the 20-year average is 1.8 deaths per year. And this year, halfway through, we're already at five. Yeah, and when it comes to overall attacks, fatal and non-fatal, Again, it's only July. We've had 18 attacks so far. I still love sharks. Sharks are beautiful. 
that was filmmaker Annika Craney there telling the world that she still loves sharks from an ambulance stretcher last week. Uh, she says that she was hit by a shark while swimming on Fitzroy Island off the coast of North Queensland. Here's Dr Vanessa Perotta, who is her mate. She's also a zoologist and marine conservationist. Yes, so Annika's been, uh, she's a really great friend of mine, and she's been swimming in the water every day with sharks for the last three months. And what happened was completely an unlucky and unlikely interaction, really, because she's been in all these remote areas and for her to have been swimming in a tourist spot relatively close to shore in, in murky waters, um, it was just simply unlucky. That vision of Annika um, coming out on a stretch bed, I guess, saying, I love sharks, which we just heard there, that sort of went a bit viral. I, I trust that you must have seen it. What was sort of going through your mind when you saw your mate on a stretcher claiming to love sharks? <laughs> well, first of all, I had no idea it was her until I actually heard the, the audio and that's when I knew immediately it was her. And the thing is, Annika, like many other people in the community that I'm, I work with, we all appreciate the fact that sharks are part of the natural marine ecosystem and they play important ecosystem roles. So they keep in check certain populations of fish, they, they move around, they provide all these ecosystem services that we as humans tend to forget. And then being part of the marine environment that's a natural thing. So when we enter into the environment, we must respect that. And so Annika is definitely channeling those kind of thoughts as well as that she doesn't want to portray sharks in a bad light. And so this was a unique event because, you know, having someone who's just been bitten by a shark coming out to the world and saying, hey, you know, sharks are not a bad animal. This is a positive thing for sharks. And if anything, this is a talking point because we need to remember their place in the marine environment and us as humans going out into the water claiming if something does happen, we're kind of selfish in a way. How's Annika doing now? Have you spoken to her? She has definitely got a bit of time of rehabilitation now that she needs to go through. But she's, if anything, has been a voice for bringing awareness, the fact that someone bitten by a shark is not necessarily going to hate them and that people do still appreciate sharks in the marine environment, which is important. So that was zoologist Dr Vanessa Perotta trying to do some good PR for sharks. Yeah. Let's face it, the sharks aren't doing themselves any favours. No, they need someone to do some good PR on their behalf, I think. Let's get a little bit deeper into the possible reason for having a high number of fatal shark attacks this year. Yeah, Dr Vincent Rayult is a marine ecologist at the University of Newcastle, and he says there are a number of theories being explored, including warmer currents. The best explanation that we have is a local change in environmental conditions. Uh, specifically some warmer water that's being pushed down the coast by the EAC. And as a result, that brings with it uh, a lot of bait fish and potential prey items for uh, the species that are involved in pretty much all the bites this year, which is the white shark, uh, which does have a pattern for moving up and down the coast uh, with uh, changing temperatures. Um, and, and basically what, what can also happen is that warm current can actually get squeezed to be very narrow. And as a result, that really pushes the sharks to be closer to shore. Because those sharks are in a more constrained environment, they're more likely to encounter people and bite them. There has been some reporting that um, some of these attacks have been related to sharks following whale migration patterns. Um, What do you know about that? Mm -hmm. So, look, it, uh, it's an interesting idea, but I'm not quite sure that uh, I agree with it. There's a number of reasons for that uh, that would um, sort of 
suggest that's not really why they're doing it. The first thing is the sharks that typically bite people, anyways, the white sharks that typically bite people are juvenile white sharks. And for them, large mammals like whales are not a uh, viable prey item. And there's a good reason for that, and that's actually been explained is their jaw is actually not tough enough and calcified enough to be able to do that sort of sawing motion that we see white sharks do to, to cut their prey items apart. And that kind of limits them to diet based on, on fishes and rays and things like that. And what happens is the, the sharks that tend to bite people are those juvenile white sharks that are in that intermediate phase, just starting to transition to other types of prey. And that's where they're kind of curious as to what they can now start to eat. And mm. unfortunately, people can sort of end up as one of their maybes. But uh, the other th thing that suggests that whales are not sort of associated with the sharks is the whale population is increasing pretty much exponentially at about 5 to 10% per year. So it's, it's increasing extremely rapidly. And it's been doing so for the last decades, really. And we have not seen any association with that that increase in whales that corresponds to first of all increase in shark numbers we know quite well that sharks are not shark populations are very unlikely to be increasing and also the fact that um you know there hasn't been any association between shark bites uh, and the increase in whale numbers which is what we mm -hmm. would expect if there was an association between the two what about the increasing population of humans does that play a role yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's that's simple probabilities. Um, you know, the, the Australian population has increased by a few million in the last decade. And those few million people have taken to the Australian lifestyle. And that means more people in the water. And if there's more people in the water, then there's more likelihood of uh, being bitten, you know, and you just have to go trying to surf at Bondi to see how many surfers <laughs> are around. Yeah. Um, those sorts of densities of surfers just make it more likely that a shark is going to encounter a person. And in fact, we did do a, a rough study in the conservation a couple of years ago that did suggest that most of the increase in shark bites in Australia was explained primarily by the, the increase in the Australian population. So Vincent, what do you think the right way to deal with this risk is? The various states have, have tried different approaches. In Queensland, they've had... Um, nets and baited drum lines that killed the sharks since the 1960s. Yep. New South Wales have had shark nets between Newcastle and Wollongong since the 1930s. WA have trialled a few different baited hook techniques and then they've stopped doing that. And on the north coast of New South Wales after that 2015 spike, they actually brought in a new technology, these electronic drum lines where the sharks are tagged, released and monitored. Which approach works best? I think for me that the best combination is is kind of uh, three things. One of them is changing behavior. So knowing that surfing in murky waters with a whole lot of bait fish swimming around you is not a safe idea. The second is using personal deterrence. So if, if you do want to go and swim in those unfavorable conditions, then now we have scientifically proven shark deterrents that work uh, to to lower the probability of shark bites. So those are called uh, shark shield and stuff like that. That's something that surfers can put underneath their boards and that divers can actually attach to their legs as well. And then finally, the, the, the thing that for the moment is showing the most promise is a combination of drones as well as those smart drum lines. 
those smart drum lines we know work on the interim because we first of all we don't have to kill the shark and they're very good at catching those sharks and we also know that the sharks that have been caught by those smart drum lines once they're released they tend to spend months offshore before um, showing any sign of coming back so it does sort of alleviate the issue and then drones as well while they're not uh that you know they don't see sharks 100% of the time because you know if the conditions are poor or if there's just no one flying because it takes a lot of energy to and manpower to keep drones in flight all the time it does reduce the likelihood of that happening uh, because we we know for example that white sharks swim parallel to beaches so if if you uh, survey those beaches consistently and the conditions are good you should be able to to see it on the drone fairly easily so i think a combination of those things is really the the way to be heading uh, because the the calling programs just haven't worked and and we now are getting such an understanding of the importance of sharks for our ecosystems that um it's it's just plain wasteful and there's the other added issue of shark nets having such huge bycatch associated mm-hmm. with them that means they, they catch things that are completely harmless like dolphins like turtles like whales um like hammerhead sharks that are threatened and things like that that was dr vincent ray out there from the uni of newcastle jan will you be swimming at dawn in murky water near big bait fish populations anytime soon look i can say definitively the answer to that question is no because i'm not going to be anywhere at dawn unless you pay me which is what this podcast is doing that's why i'm here will you you're more likely to do something like that yeah i'll go out if the surf's good (laughs) of course i will Keep your wits about you, Tom. Tomorrow on The Briefing, JobKeeper Horror Stories. Bosses taking advantage of the pandemic. Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.